This the 100th episode of Print Run. Woo! My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, for the 100th time, I guess more than that if you count the special episodes, um, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. So, uh, we made it. It's today. the Jamboree. <laughs> it is the Jamboree, folks. Uh, we've made it to this special day. Um, what is it? April 22nd today? Yes. April 22nd, 2019. <laughs> that day we've date. all been looking forward to for so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's our 100th episode. We're going to mostly just kind of, I mean, look behind the curtain, folks. We're mostly going to wing it today <laughs> um, because we're just going to kind of talk about um, just some large scale things with where the show has been, with how we're kind of seeing things in a big picture. You know, I mean, it, you know, any kind of. Any time you get a chance for an anniversary or a kind of a big number like this, it offers a chance at reflection, a chance at kind of looking at things on a broader scale, um, industry-wide, show-wide, you know, ourselves, all that sorts of stuff. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, before we get to any of that, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so it is towards the end of April. We have all three special episodes coming to you um, starting this Friday. So we mm-hmm. will have our regular query show. We will have a regular first pages show. And then for a third special episode for the $8 a month and up patrons on Patreon, we will have a big deep dive into the call. Mm-hmm. What is it? What do you do? What does it look like? I don't know. I literally just had one. So what's I'm very fresh just, on this. So people, in, case, so in case people don't know, what's the call? The call is after you send your manuscript to an agent and they read it and they really like it and they're interested in considering you for representation. They want to have a big fat phone call where you talk about everybody's needs mm-hmm. and wishes in this industry mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody jives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it goes well, you get an offer at the very, very end. Yep. Yep. So um, it's kind of like a mutual date. Like it's a first date, really, is what it is. I hate those dates that aren't mutual. <laughs> well, it's not one-sided sure. is what I meant to say. <laughs> Shut yeah. up, Eric. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's something that everybody is working towards. It's something yeah. that is kind of nebulous and very few people talk about it because we always keep talking about querying but we never talk about the call um so this is your opportunity dear reader to really just like dig in and to feel comfortable comfortable and confident for when that day happens for you sure laura yes it's our 100th episode. It is our 100th episode. My mother even <laughs> made us like loon shaped sugar cookies yeah, that, that had like 100s on them and it little was, red eyes. It was so cute. I could hardly stand it, folks. He ate them all. Uh, <laughs> but so I was looking back. The one piece of um, preparation I did for this episode, um, I looked at when our first piece of released content was. Do you know when that was? Do you know what the date was? First of um, all, do you remember what it was? Yes. It, our first piece of released content was when Stephen King got into a fight. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember it, with who. Oh, it was James Patterson. Oh, James, James Patterson, Patterson wrote. And... So remember, James Patterson wrote that novel in which one of the characters killed Steve, a, Stephen a, King. tried to kill or killed Stephen King, and they got in a fight about like putting out a fictional hit on each other, and they like had this whole spat about it. It was... 
great. And we from, practiced so hard for that twelve minutes of radio. From those ashes, we were born. Um, and but more significant than that, actually, even than that, yeah, we did really like. I remember we paused like nine times in twelve minutes or something. Yeah. Um, it was. A, I think, or we recorded yeah. it like three separate <laughs> yeah. times. It's really good. Um, and I refuse to listen to it now because I'm sure I will have all sorts of violent convulsions doing so. So this show came out in fall of 2016. Um, anyone who is listening to this, I think at this point, the way audiences self-select, anyone listening to this show uh, right now is having like feelings at the phrase fall of 2016. They're remembering things. They're, you know, picturing certain things. They're picturing, you know, where they were when, you know, or certain bits of, you know, news stories or things that um, felt particularly poignant about what really was kind of a poignant home stretch of an election season. And then, of course, the day itself in, in November. Um, but I think that it's fair to say that along with this show, or, or rather, Print Run sort of maps across really kind of a strange period in American life and in really in global life, you know, politically, you know, socially, all sorts of other things. Like, things have changed a lot, or rather things have, exa- you know, a lot of things have gotten much worse, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, I think, to kind of track that across the, you know, sort of ethos of our show, which is sort of a, hopefully on our good days, and an honest look at what's going on in the book world, for better or worse, um, and how it sort of maps across broader political ideas and things like that. And so, Laura. Yes. Taking the last, what, how long has it even been? Almost three years two now? And a half two years. and a half years. Knowing basically, I mean, as we gear up for another election season, honestly, <laughs> um, it feels like we're already kind of there. Um, what's your biggest, like, when you think of that stretch of time, and let's stay, let's stick to books mostly here. What's your biggest, like, prevailing thought as to where we've been or how things have progressed or how you've changed anything like that easier to mask i'm going to leave it as open-ended as possible Ooh. like when you reflect on this show keeping in mind the fact that we were kind of born in the heat of you know just the worst cycles of news of politics of all that stuff and where we're at now as things have progressed like where do you kind of see or what what comes to mind as you kind of sift through those patterns Well, one thing that I feel like I've known to be true since, well, let's be honest, like since since college. Yeah. um, But have really embraced since the start of Print Run, whether that is just the time or it is the fact that I get on air every week and talk about stuff, um, is that I, I believe that in this moment we are reaching towards a broader cultural acceptance and understanding that books are political. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they've always, it's always been that way. It's always been the case. Um, but I think now that the way that people are engaging with content, the way that they are treating the books that they read and the authors that they support and the places that they buy their, those books. There's no sitting it out, you're There's saying. no sitting it out. And I feel like previously you could read pol- political books or not. And I'm not talking about like nonfiction books right, about politics. I'm any, talking like about novel. any books. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could read them and the politics could go over your head. And I feel like in this moment, 
um, more and more people are aware that that is no longer an option. It's just not something that's going to happen. That's a, I think that's a really good point. And it's one that has certainly, I think, informed a lot of the conversations we've had. Yeah. Or a lot, I think of like the many, like in terms of patterns across the stuff we've covered, so much of it is that a publisher thought, like when we, when we really get on someone's case, right? Whether it's an author or whether it's a publisher, whoever it is that's screwed up. Simon a, and Schuster. <laughs> <laughs> whoever's screwed up in a given week, it sort of comes from that mistaken piece of calculus, right? Yeah. Which is that they thought that politics, as it related to whatever piece of content they were putting out, was something that they could simply ask readers to set aside for a second for the sake of entertainment or in the way they often put it, quote-unquote, debate, you know? Like, there's... This idea that, as you're saying, is rapidly becoming extinct, that, you know, you could read something with, you could read someone you disagree with, and it would just be like, fine, you know, as opposed to being something that uh, more often than not really does kind of, kind of, you know, exists on a problematic way on a real level, you know, and I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I feel like, um, I read things from people I disagree with all the time, you know, and a lot of it is worthy to exist. But you do get this sense that, like, you, there's no vacuum anymore is maybe the way to put it. There's mm. no just reading. There's no just a novel. There's no, you know, like, because that's all the subtext of, of American life. Is no of, longer subtext. Right. It's just been yanked into the – like, there's no – set. you can't safely and politely put things aside anymore, you know? I mean, even look at – so when we were deciding what to do in this episode and we, we eschewed planning for non-planning mm-hmm. um, because it's the Jamboree. And what else are you going to do at the Jamboree if not not planned? Don't ask me, to pull, plan. don't ask me to pull up the episode Google Doc on <laughs> the Jamboree. Which is like 150 pages long at this point. <laughs> Um, But one thing that we were talking about that we were considering covering was, speaking of Stephen King Mm. um, and political books, is The Siege of Tel Aviv, which is this book that got acquired a couple of years ago. The Zonk Books one. Yeah, yeah. that was a mess. And Stephen King blurbed it and said it's more (laughs) terrifying than anything Stephen King has ever read or written. Um, Which is terrifying that Stephen King now writes in the third person. Uh, (laughs) But... It's all just meant to be a satire, but falls spectacularly. And then the entire industry said, no, 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 you can't just ignore the political context and produce satire without understanding that that satire is going to be playing um, playing negatively with your audience. Yeah. So like just when we should, I guess, you know, now that we are, we are going to kind of get into it a sec, like the context there. So Zonk Books, I don't really know how to say it, D-Z-A-N-C. Zonk books. Uh, they put out this. Their this you know this jacket copy. Jacket copy came available for this book, the, um, the Siege of Tel Aviv, and basically, it was kind of this horrific story of like Muslims taking over Tel Aviv, and like it was very it was filled with this sort of idea of like you know the foreign invaders. You know, the, it's sort of this you know the jacket copy really kind of engaged in all sorts of pretty naked stereotypes of sort of the idea of, you know, the, the the Muslim horde coming to invade your clean civilization. You know, like, you can see how that kind of stuff, you know, gets wormed its way, has wormed its way into all sorts of horrific pieces of American thinking and thinking around the world. But um, they put this book out that sort of absolutely dabbled in it, and everyone <laughs> rightly got really mad at them, like, saying, 
what in the world is this? How can you put this like racist fantasy, you know, <laughs> as this sort of piece of spec fic? And their basically their response is what you were saying, right? And it plays exactly into what we're talking about, which is like we were just kidding. Like it was, it was just a joke. Yeah, it was meant as this thinly veiled, you know, it's actually a comment upon those attitudes. Yeah, part of the apology from the publisher was that, you know, three, year, three years ago when we acquired this book, which is the same time Print Run was launched, um, the world was different. And I don't necessarily feel, Eric, that the politics of books has changed drastically in two and a half years. I do feel, though that the language that people have in order to talk about their books Mm -hmm. and the implication of what goes beyond the pages yeah um like i think i think people are understanding now that the books are not just the books yeah no i mean it's this idea that um well one books aside this person is you know they in the apology he makes the argument that uh, well, two and a half years ago, you could do things like write a shitty satire that, you know, really kind of villainizes Muslims in a really horrific way. And that won't have any effect, which is, of course, a silly thing to argue. I mean, Islamophobia has been and we were kind of talking about this online. It's been around much longer than that. It is something that was inappropriate much longer than that. But what the shift that he's referring to is the one that you're referring to, which is that the tolerance for like letting that stuff slide I think is really shifting in a way that I think we would agree is a good thing you know like you can't just say shit anymore and it's and you can't because the context is there and the the context is forever and the stakes of what's happening are so explicit now like there's things are so much less easily swept under the rug because I don't know where we've got a you know, the people doing the bad things right now aren't particularly good at hiding it, you know, and they're not particularly polished. We um, say the week that the Mueller report <laughs> came out for free through well, Barnes & Noble. That's what I mean. It's just like, you know, there's this long thing and you can see publishers trying to catch up to this idea that, oh, readers are still interested in reading in a vacuum. They're willing to kind of set things aside or they're willing to, you know, detachedly play all sides of an issue for the sake of their own entertainment and edification. And it's just not the case anymore. Um, and it isn't the case here, I and mean, not to get into this one, but like this stuff is, you know, if anything, it's kind of shown as genuinely dangerous at this point. You know, I mean, you, not to get beyond the books, but like, you know, Ilan Omar, you know, the my congressperson is facing near daily death threats at this point because of the same forces that, you know, this sort of book. She better get to... <laughs> the biggest book deal, Eric. Well, she, I mean, we'll see what happens. But the point is like, you can't. The culture has shifted, but like it's not as though it's you have to be careful even saying that because it's not as though the truths of the situation has shifted. Like bigotry and all these kind of toxic ideas have always been that well before 2016, well before, you know, any of these conversations we're now so popularly having, you know, in kind of the public sphere. But like what's shifted is, you know, kind of the the tolerance for how it you know how it comes across what people are willing to just kind of you know let happen you know what people are willing to publicly say is within the realm of acceptable debate you know so what i'm, I'm curious about the answer to your question sure because you you typically skew a little bit more like socially and politically minded than i do yeah um is your answer to like 
how have things changed <sighs> since since print run started? Is your answer the same? I mean, I, I agree with yours that the, the window of um, or that reader expectation now inherently involves politics in a way that it didn't used to. Yeah. But I think that my answer to that question, like, what is the thing that I've spent two and a half years like staring at and turning into a horrible hobby horse that everyone is <laughs> sick of me talking about? Um, is it unions? Well, well, <laughs> well, remember, we did. We actually did an episode on I was scrolling through our old ones, but we did an episode way like I think it was the first one right after the election it's a November 2016 Mm. episode and we kind of talked about okay publishers are going to be faced with a choice over this next stretch they can choose to actually offer meaningful resistance in some way they can choose to you know not try to ride the content wave and actually do some critical thinking and actually grapple with how you know, the media, how cable news, how even they themselves have kind of worked together to launder certain opinions into an environment that would allow something like the 2016 election and where we're at now to exist, or they could try to profit off that. And I think what we have seen, you know, since that moment is that mostly they've just chosen the second one. Yeah. If I'm being honest, like I think there's a million reasons to be really, and we can get into them in a minute, to be really enthusiastic about where like the creative scene is at right now, like where art is right now in a lot of really good ways. But big publishing, I like, did they answer the bell? Like, do these publishers who love to talk about resistance, to talk to, you know, promote voices, to do, you know, divert all this diversity stuff that they claim to want? And obviously it's deeper than that, but it's not when they do it. Um, it's, I think that they have largely failed, Laura. I, I really think that, you know, mostly what we've seen, whether it's the big political nonfiction books that, you know, everyone who leaves the Trump administration immediately gets to have for huge sums of money, or it's the, you know, way people are able to use the book industry to, you know, rehabilitate, you know, careers that, you know, like I'm thinking, uh, as always, as I'm constantly thinking of, you know, guys like Max Boot or James Comey, you know, these people who, real villains in a lot of ways that any liberal-minded person would, should and would used to be able to look at and say, no, that, that's someone who should not be getting respectable book deals with the glossy cover. But now they are. And it's because publishing has kind of looked at the state of things. They've looked at the fear. They've looked at the the same thing that I think is driving what you pointed out, which is that engagement level with Mm -hmm. politics right now. And they've said, okay, we can stoke that and we can play on that and we can publish into that in a way that will be highly lucrative. And in a lot of ways, they're right. It's just that that's not a particularly politically useful or moral position to take. Right. And I think that that in and of itself, seeing that that has been the case, and I guess it almost feels foolish in retrospect to have wondered at what big publishing was going to do in the face of that. But it is, I think, clarifying to realize that most major presses are not here for resistance. They're here for monetization. They're here to take whatever energy exists, good, bad, left, right, you know, reactionary, anything, and try to sell it to someone. You know, I've had conversations with editors where, you know, and because I do nonfiction stuff where I've called and, you know, and we'll, they'll tell me, okay, so you do, you know, you do lefty political stuff. That's cool. And that'll fit really great because, you know, our list, we've got, you know, some progressive folks, we've got some centrist folks, and we've got some people on the right, you know, too, on our author list. And I always end up hearing that. And I think, 
well, what the hell kind of list is that? <laughs> like, what what is the what, <laughs> what is the point of weighing all those things equally? You know, and I and the point is that there's book buying audiences in each, and that is the extent of it. You know, but like, it it's, it's ideologically incoherent, and mm-hmm. so is major press publishing. I think is my point is what I've at least that's been the big takeaway for me. And obviously there are pockets that are really good. And as you get into smaller presses or independent presses, you can get into some really good stuff. But, like, I do not believe that, like, major publishing has answered the bell at all in terms of being politically useful to the Do you think the that moment. they will? I don't know why I would believe it. I mean, it yeah. seems like nothing is shifting. I guess the one thing that looked kind of positive is the other day we found out that, um, you know, sales are down because, um, especially in nonfiction, because all like the splashy Trump books, like, you know, the, what, the Fire and Fury, whatever, you know, all the ones that like sold last year, like those ones haven't sold this year. And no. so there's been a, there's been a sharp kind of decline or a noticeable decline People in sales. People don't want them anymore. No, They're because tired they, of it. they got glutted on them because you can't sell palace intrigue for years on end, which is what major publishing has tried to do. And so I guess like thinking on the last two years, like that's been a big one for me. And you see the mistakes, how that gets how that happens, right? Whether it's like the Milo book, you know, that got bought and canceled, whether it's any of these things where the publisher's like, oh yeah, no, it's totally fine if we publish this really toxic person purely (laughs) on the basis of, well, there's an audience for it, Um, which monetarily is fine, but it's, it's not at all useful in any of the efforts that, and I think that it's, that's significant because so often people, book people love to think of themselves as like revolutionaries in their own small way, right? Like they like they're to th- thought leaders. Yeah, exactly. They like to think of themselves as like someone like doing something, you know, on an ideological level that matters. And it's like that may well be true, but the systems that exist above those individuals are certainly not right now. They are actively making things worse in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't know. I guess so. I guess that's my big thing, you know, for now is that like. And there are plenty others with regard to the show and with regard to kind of what we've been talking about for two and a half years in terms of all the things that we're interested in, whether it's greater representation and meaningful spots, you know, in the publishing industry, whether it's um, what sorts of books and people are being published, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's progressed in really interesting ways, too. But the prevailing one for me is that you can't look at these institutions as meaningful bastions of resistance anymore because they simply haven't been so so i have an answer to this question which is like how have things changed in the last two and a half years right but i have a i have an answer to the personal side of that question sure yeah no that's Um, that's good we should get into that too so the so like the big thing that i've noticed Mm industry-wide um is that books are political um and one of the changes that i believe that engaging with that that political nature of books every every week on this show is that like eric i'm pro twilight now (laughs) why is that (laughs) and i'm just like horrified to say that but um so as a little bit of background um when I when the Twilight books came out, I was working as a bookseller at Barnes uh-huh. and Noble. Okay. Um, and I was a teenager myself, and um, I read the first one, and I thought that it was garbage. Right. 
And I remember working the midnight release for the fourth book, whatever the fourth book one was. And they had me like put fang marks on my <laughs> neck. And I had like a rose in yeah. my like lapel. Yeah. Like a wedding dress competition out of like tissue paper and toilet paper and tablecloths and all that jazz. Um, and I remember being like horrified that it was just a bunch of like suburban like mm. teenagers and their moms mm-hmm. who were like hot for Edward Cullen. Yep. Like standing there and like at midnight on a Tuesday. What on a was Monday the other night. guy's? Hold on. What was the other guy's name? Jacob. I was team somebody else. Yeah. Remember Jacob, how they were teams? You, Jake, you had to. Like, Jacob beat. was the werewolf, um, and Edward was the vampire. And I hate that I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was um, on the team other guy. Right. Team other guy. Yeah. The one. Okay, so the team other guy, which uh-huh. is, I'm gonna spoil this for you guys, but if you don't know already, but are still interested, then shame on you. It's been many years. <laughs> um, the one who where he like is in love with. Uh, Bella, like Kristen yeah. Stewart's character, but right. then um, like realizes that it's just because he was meant to imprint on her baby, mm. and then he falls in love with the baby. Wow. Yeah. I should like read a plot synopsis of these books sometime. This yeah. sounds great. Yeah, being team other guy doesn't work super well. <laughs> <laughs> this will be what um, gets me canceled, is being team other guy. I know, moment. right? Yeah. Okay, but so anyway, when, when I first like read that book and kind of experienced this phenomenon from the outside Mm -hmm. it was the very same thing then with like 50 shades of gray you know it was this is garbage i can't believe these sheeple like this from like a quality kind of standpoint right but as i have gotten deeper into the politics of books yeah right i've really like realized that there's something very like worthwhile and empowering about books like Twilight, where it's just like allows a woman, particularly like mm-hmm. a like a teenage girl, to explore like agency and wish yeah. fulfillment yeah. and like sexual growth and like complicated like important care like feelings and and not that I didn't believe that to be true otherwise, but I think that. Um, I've gotten less of a, I've gotten to be less of a snob yeah, in a lot of ways totally. being here because I am understanding a larger impact on the work that grabs readers. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're like I thought that Twilight was garbage, but I will argue for it until the end of the day because, like, yeah, teenage girls deserve to be the heroes of the story. <laughs> And, you know, like, even if it's poorly written, like, if it connects with somebody, then so fucking what? Well, it's amazing, I think, going back to what we've been saying, is that so much political stuff as it relates to art and books, it's been cast into really sharp relief Mm. in a way that it didn't used to be. And so, like, the importance of having a space like that is now very obvious, right, in a world that feels, you know, very outwardly hostile or violent, you know, to some... you know, teenage girls, you know, looking for that sort of thing. Like, it's great to have, it's great that that exists, right? Like, cultivating that sort of space for someone through writing or books, like, whatever you think of the writing, like, that concept is a pol- is a politically useful one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it is, it's something, you know? And it's interesting how that does seem to map across, like, and I feel this way too, like, being less of a snob. Yeah. Like, I remember, and that's, this is actually probably, you know, when I think of, um, you know, starting print run and, 
you know, kind of being where we are now, I would say that that's kind of a similar feeling that I have too, which is that, um, like, we when did we start? September of 2016. I moved to Minneapolis. Really, I got settled here like very early 2016, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when I started agenting and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I had come from an editorial background, right? Like I was working as an editor. A prestigious editorial background. Yeah, and I I came out here, and the big shift for me, I think, in all this stuff is really kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to even put this. You can help me tease this idea. But like, early on when we started this and when we started, when I started even working as an agent, I felt really like appalled almost at how public facing yeah. all of it was. You at still kind of are. At how much you have to like engage with people, at how many strangers email you all day. You know, like how many times, like I wasn't on Twitter really before. We, for anyone who like might struggle to believe that right now, like <laughs> I actually wasn't really online at all in any kind of meaningful way. I think before. I told you. That's not going to fly. You, like, did. you no, absolutely you, have to get so on Twitter. So you can blame, I think in a lot of ways, Lori, it's your fault that I've been doing all these tweets. Yeah, um, so, definitely. But like that opening up of my view of the book world, right? Like I think when I was an editor, it was very closed off, right? Like it was my own tastes and it was the agents I had relationships with sending me things. Mm-hmm. And it was the in-house conversations I was having. But now it's actually much, much wider. It, it incorporates... Obviously, still my own tastes, it incor- but it also then revolves around what editors at a variety of different houses are looking for, what other agents are doing, you know, what industry wide, you know, the job has kind of forced me to look beyond my own navel, you know what I mean? Like, in a way that's been really, I think, useful. And I think it has the same effect that you're talking about, which is that I'm a lot less of a snob, you know, I'm a lot less of someone who only wants to read, you know, a very specific slice of literary fiction, you know, and I think that that is not only um, useful and educational in terms of a um, one's own reading life, but I think it's also it's also been somewhat politically useful in its own way. And just like because we talk about this a lot, right, like reading fiction asks you inherently to empathize. Right. right? And so the broader you're asked to read, there is a certain amount of empathizing that you end up doing just by default and so like the last few years have really been kind of an opening up of and I think that that's kind of been reflected in the direction the show has gone you know the direction um, I know my own list and writing you know have gone Um, I don't know but it's interesting to see how to track that kind of stuff from from start to finish you know one thing that I didn't realize that I started doing um, is in 2017 I started to keep track of all of the books that I read every year and it's something that I had never done but I love doing Um, and I think it's quite honestly a direct link to that uncoupling um, between quality and enjoyment And I think that having that freedom, like being forced to do it as an agent, but then also like engaging with the reasons why um, certain things are good or bad or successful or not successful or important or not important um, on the show is it has given me a lot of freedom to go, okay, this is something that I can just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. 
or and it's also given me the freedom to like not read something that is very important but i don't <laughs> actually like yeah sure and uh, yeah. <laughs> um what that has meant in the past two and a half years is i have read more books than i've ever read mm-hmm. um you know outside of like when I didn't have homework when I was a kid, right? I've read more books than I've ever read. I have expanded my genres. Mm-hmm. I have, like, by by uncoupling quality and taste, you are, by definition, giving yourself a freedom to expand what that definition of quality is. Yeah. Because if you go in thinking, I'm only going to read good books, whatever good books mean to you, whether mm-hmm. it's like fancy, right. you know, whether it's the Jonathans or <laughs> it's, you know, the all of the award winners or nominees for the man Booker or, you know, just what's on the New York Times bestseller list, like whatever that is for you. Um, if you free yourself from that and you just read whatever, then you end up expanding that definition which i think does a lot of going back to that political aspect is it does a lot of really good work yeah by looking at non-westernized stories and saying well this isn't normally what i would consider good but i read it and man did i enjoy that you are like expanding your own personal canon which then expands the cultural canon yeah I would say in a similar, like, the expansion you're talking about, one thing that has definitely happened to me is almost the inverse, which is that, you know, I'm reading more widely and everything, but I'm also feeling myself much freer to dislike things. Mm. Like, I feel like I used to have this really strong opinion that, you know, if your, if your novel was published by, like, a press I'd heard of, it was, there was absolutely something redeemable about it, right? Like, there was something good about it. It was worthy of respect, it was a book that I needed to take seriously in some way. And <laughs> forgive me, but that isn't true at all. <laughs> like, there's a lot of really bad books out there that make it through. And the thing that I think has shifted is now that, you know, through, you know, kind of the work, you know, as agents and stuff, being as familiar as I think we are with how the sausage gets made in book publishing, like, there's no longer any illusions that it's like, that publishing is like this perfect meritocracy and like it's the only the good books that get through. No, there's a lot of stupid reasons why books get published. And a lot of those ones that you're kind of told or conditioned or are published in a manner that is designed to get you to think, no, that's, this is supposed to be really good. You know, this is a important work of literature. Like they're really just not like (laughs) a lot of books just really aren't good. And that actually has been... And it's okay. And that's fine. And it's actually, well, okay in a personal taste sense, less okay in a what-are-we-publishing-folks sense. Um, but it's actually been very, I think, clarifying and revealing, both as a person in publishing, but also as a writer, too, by the way. Like, realizing that a lot of books that I think are really beautifully packaged and written in people whose careers I envy are actually not very good is something that... I think only comes with being as familiar with how all this stuff works. Yeah. And I think that it's, to me, it has certainly been, because one, I guess one thing that's also sort of happened, you know, over these last couple of years is, you know, our lists have sort of taken shape. You know, you've been at it a little longer than me, but, you know, certainly you would say that, and actually, you know what, as I say it aloud, this is, the, this is my next question to you. How have the last couple of years, you know, and this show influenced the way you agent? 
because, and I ask because what I was about to say about my own list is that in kind of exploring the industry in the ways that we have, you know, but as per, you know, like for a lot of the stuff we do, you know, you and I do a lot of research and stuff like yeah. we, we learn things kind of on the fly and we investigate things, you know, just so that we can talk about them. And I know that just the simple act of preparing for this show has made me much more up on what's going on. And that has definitely changed the types of projects I'm looking for. It's changed, you know, what I'm interested in, what I'm comfortable with working on, where I think it could go. Um, do you feel at all as though doing this show, you know, and kind of working on Print Run as a project has it affected your agent life at all? Yes. I think, so when when you start at an agency, like particularly a, a, a boutique yeah. agency, yeah. Um, one of the things that you need to decide really early on is for for better lack of you know for for lack of term uh your brand right um there's an idea that you will get to know these editors and speak to them one-on-one and they should be able to get a sense of what's going to come from you that doesn't mean that every book has to be the same but they'll get to know your taste the same way you'll get to know theirs um and one thing that you know and i've since i started agenting have been looking for like for example um like books by underrepresented uh, underrepresented authors right like that's always been something i've been interested in um but only over the past couple of years has have i like really connected those two things Mm -hmm. and realized that like i can do good work in the world and be like do good allyship um by representing certain books and and so you know because like fundamentally you know eric and i we rail all the time over how like agents aren't gatekeepers in a lot of ways but like fundamentally like our job is to lean back and hold somebody's hand and lift them up in front of us right it's a gatekeepy um, job in its, its own way. It's a gatekeepy yeah. job in its own way, um, no matter how much we fight that, just because of access. Yeah. Right? That's the key. It's gatekeeping only because of access. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I've taken to heart, particularly since the election, so I guess since the start of Print Run, um, is that I can be intentional not just about the types of books and the taste that I have but I can also be intentional about like the broader statements that my list is saying Mm -hmm. you know like what does it mean for me to really 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 prioritize certain types of voices and certain types of stories yeah um and it's you know like it's not been always super lucrative or super easy yeah um but it's starting to be because i think that more people are kind of making that decision yeah with us where they go oh wait like we're the first step yeah. right like we're we're the first step into helping change that big political industry who keeps making the wrong choices yeah <laughs> um so I think I've just become more aware of my own position in this in this world yeah. um, and have been trying really, really hard to get better at it. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Um, and I think about the way, you know, the stuff I was asking for, you know, when I first started at Red Sofa. Um, 
you know, and the stuff I'm asking for now and the clients I'm trying to court now versus who I was courting then, as it re- kind of relates to sort of these long things we've been talking about, whether it's, re- you know, especially as it relates to personal responsibility mm-hmm. on the part of anyone who works on a book to make sure that they're getting it right. Um, I will say that at this point, my list is, like, I'm thinking of, like, the last five people I've signed. Like, my list is pretty nakedly political yeah. at this point. And that is across fiction and nonfiction, by the way. Like, it's not even just, like, I mean, I do a lot of, like, specifically nonfiction politics books. But it's also, like, you know, the the types of novelists I'm willing to work with. You know, the types of stories I'm willing to engage with. The types of, um, you know, nonfiction that I'm actually interested in. That has, in that one respect, I mean, I'll publish in, or I'm interested in stuff in tons and tons and tons of categories. But it all kind of has to have a heartbeat that I look at and say, you know what, I'm fine with my name being on that mm-hmm. as, you know, as someone who is attached to that project and those ideas being in the world. And that, I mean, truthfully, isn't always the case, especially when you're in-house, right? Because a lot of stuff you get is inherited, you know, and a lot of, especially at the younger editorial levels, like you say, okay, here are the books you're working on. And if you don't think that, you know, this author is particularly good, or you don't think that this book puts forth a message that you agree with like tough luck you have to do it anyway you know and it's that no longer is the case because you and I are afforded a tremendous amount of creative freedom in our current position which is great Um, but that has been a real shift and I think it's mapped along with the ongoing conversations we've had on this show about the idea that if you're a part of that process whether you're the editor the author the agent whoever it is like you have a stake in making sure that that gets done correctly. You mm-hmm. know, you have a stake in making sure that, you know, what you are helping bring, especially given how much crap is out there and how hard it is to get good things through the pipeline. Like, you have a stake in making sure you're doing what you can to do that. And those decisions matter. And I know that anytime I read things now or, you know, to consider signing someone, it's always, it ends up being like, it, you know, am I ready to say, yeah, no, I work with that person. And that's someone whose, you know, whole shtick I am happy to, you know, say that I want to help bring into the world, you know. And um, that's that whole conversation feels much higher stakes to me than I think it used to um, in the same way that the, our, you know, people's collective inability to avoid politics and books has, you know. Okay, so you ready for my next canned uh, reflection question? <laughs> like, if you picture, I thought this you didn't like prepare a, for this episode, Eric. If you picture this as like a reunion episode, we're all like, you know, ten years older, you know, and like sitting on a, you know, dimly lit couch. I now have and a like, beard. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Laura, what was your favorite? What's your been your favorite moment on the show so far? Oh, um, I mean, I feel, I've got one far and away answer. I feel- <laughs> Okay, so I feel like I've got a couple of different answers. Yeah. So one thing is that like I truly love and this is this has made me a little like squishy and a little bit of a cop out, but like I do love getting to like sit across the table from one of my best friends and be able to like laugh and shoot the shit about things that we that we love and we sometimes hate and that mm-hmm. we criticize and all of that. So I think like Whenever you hear that like big belly laugh from me, it's safe to say that that is that is my favorite moment of Mm -hmm. of the show. But I think that as a body of work in the last two and a half years, I am 
very much like proud. I think I am the most proud of the work that we've done um, specifically in terms of like taking care of authors. Um, I'm thinking particularly about the episode Something Rotten where we were talking about Danielle Smith after she kind of disappeared from agenting and that's when Mark Gottlieb threatened to sue us um, and that sort of thing. And like it was, that was, I don't think we've ever talked about it on air, but the fact that this agent came after me incredibly aggressively and cut Eric out of the conversation and was trying to take away my literal livelihood um, was really, really scary. Mm -hmm. And it was really infuriating. And one thing that I'm, I'm really proud of is that we, you know, stuck to it and we're like, we're here and we're <laughs> we're here and we haven't been sued. Um, nobody well, at him on Twitter. Well, so we didn't get sued, Laura, because of my favorite moment on the show, <laughs> which is when we replaced a particularly spicy segment of the show with a soup recipe. Curry, you, actually. Oh, curry? A split pea yeah, curry was... recipe. It's honestly one of my favorite recipes in the mm-hmm. entire world. If you haven't made it, you absolutely should. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm referring to that moment when, yeah, it was like under the, when all of that was really kind of happening and there was a segment in the show that felt a little iffy. So we were like, all right, let's, let's replace that with something. And we decided just with like no transition whatsoever to just stick in a, you just like calmly reading a recipe out of a cookbook. Yeah. That was good. Now that was really, when I think about. It wasn't about, petty at all. <laughs> when I think about what I. Because this is this is a strange thing for me about this show is that it doesn't really look anything like what I envisioned or what I wanted it to be. To really? Be, yeah. No. Seriously. How did you? Envision and I love it to what be? it is, but like I remember when I was like sitting down thinking, all right, let's have a podcast. It didn't necessarily look like this. It was going to be first of all, it was going to be much worse. <laughs> uh, but like, it's. I remember like. I wanted it to be a little bit more, probably a little bit more caustic, a little bit more ironic, you know, a little bit less of, I don't know, like there's there's a real, I you know, I think that you bring sort of the real heartbeat, you know, in terms of like niceness and Which stuff. Which is fun to the because show. I'm the mean yeah. one. But the, it was going to be a much worse product if it was just me. But like the day when we were like sarcastically subbing in soup recipes, <laughs> that felt true to the original vision that felt like something that yeah. would have come from my original like thoughts on the show so that was a nice I, i'm glad that we had that um was that your favorite moment or uh, what was your favorite moment that was good i mean i think a lot about the time you know that guy emailed you saying i wasn't fit to be an agent because i wanted confederate monuments torn down oh that was a favorite moment we of get mine. a lot of really fun <laughs> fan mail you guys and um, not all of it is from fans yeah um, we get, yeah, a lot of good emails. We get a lot of good people yelling at us on Twitter, which is good. That's, I would say that doing the Decembo memes is a real joy every year. Yeah. That, that I enjoy. Um, I don't know what my favorite moment of all this is. It's really, it's like, I was telling you this the other day, like, it feels to me like part of the reason whatever small amount of success this show has had it mostly comes from the fact that I like didn't 
put it into like the big serious thing I care very incredibly deeply about, you know, like I do with like writing or agenting or things like that. It exists as sort of its own like fun creative space to just like blow off steam and like by then extension, like actually say things that feel a little freer and better, you know, and because of that, I think it's sort of morphed into it. So we've let it kind of become its own thing without trying to like shape it too carefully, you know, and that's been like letting it be something that sort of engages with people and then, you know, shifts according to those expectations. And, you know, um, maybe this is a long way of saying that the thing that I like best about this show is the like the cultivated community that has kind of come up around it. Yeah. You know, like there's you know, there's people online, you know, with, you know, that I refer to as like the regulars, you know who are just always around when we're talking about stuff, you know, who are constantly going back and forth with us, who are the ones sending us notes. You know, we've got the people who I think really feel like friends of the show, and there's a lot of them now, you know, and it's it's been just such a great vehicle and a really hopeful vehicle to me personally, just seeing how, you know, many types of people, how are, like, interested in kind of making a real go of, you know, a book career in whatever way, shape, and form, you know, it takes. And that's been, um, I don't know, I really appreciate, you know, that from people and from you. And um, that's been particularly meaningful to me, I think. So I've had over 10 publishing jobs, um, internships and jobs. And one thing that I was never, ever taught, not explicitly anyway, was how important the writers are. I was never taught that in any way, shape, or form any of the work that I was doing was in service to the writer. It was always, you know, the writer does this, and then I'm very important, and I do this, and then mm-hmm. I pass it on. Yeah. Right? And one thing that this, that the regulars, and that this community, and yes, even the lawsuit threats, um have really made clear for me in the past two and a half years is like both personally and professionally, like how important it is to really like push back against that narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we are in a position of power, but we shouldn't be the powerful ones here. Yeah. Um, and so like, it really means a lot. Like it really does wear down on you. Like as an agent to get 10,000 queries a year, and sign only a handful of those yeah. and to yeah. not give support or give resources and just not have enough time just because that's like you don't have enough, you know, hours yeah. in the day to spend doing that yeah. instead of making money. And so one thing that I at least I hope that we're making a small dent in in this industry is kind of bridging that that gap of like animosity or yeah. or mistrust. Yeah. Um, and just reassigning amongst us and amongst other agents, like reassigning value towards the writers. And yeah. like, cause this is a hard industry. It's a dispiriting industry for everybody involved. And literally everyone is having a bad time. <laughs> literally everybody's <laughs> having a bad time except for us right now. Cause we're full of cookies. Not me though. I'm um, having a great time. I love it. <laughs> and, and I, I like to think that, you know, whenever, print run you know kind of closes its doors which is not now this is the jamboree yeah first of all that's yeah 100 more of these 100 more six seasons in a movie um (laughs) but 
when whenever that happens, I hope that in some way, like at least amongst the the new crop of agents and the new crop of incredibly logged on and podcast listening um, writers, no matter how old you are, like I hope that it it makes you feel not quite al- as alone yeah. as you might otherwise. Yeah, no, I think that that's obviously a, a nice sentiment and a strong sentiment. And I guess like for me, one thing that the show has really done as a, not even necessarily as a product, but just as like an exercise that we have to do every week, you know, because again, thinking about like what's happened over the last two and a half years, um, it's a very politically charged time. It's mm-hmm. a time when I think every person, no matter where they currently sit on the political spectrum has been sort of asked to self-reflect on, okay, what do I believe? You know, what do I think, you know, what when I look at the world, what do I see and what do I think needs to be done about it? And one thing that I think has happened as I've had those conversations with myself, you know, separate from books, you know, politically, um, you know, picking up, you know, various different bits of activism and things like that. But like, as it relates, one thing the show has forced me to do, and I think a really good way is to say, okay, you believe X outside of, you know, the book world, like in your life, away from your career, these are, these are your beliefs. How do those beliefs apply to the industry that you currently work in, you know, the, where you're spending your time, you know, how, you know, does what you're seeing affect this particular book story or this particular publishing idea or this particular, you know, labor dynamic, especially, you know, like one thing, I mean, it's not going to shock too many people to hear, you know, that I am a socialist, but it's especially jarring to be a socialist in an industry where all of my colleagues are constantly being laid off, you know, mm-hmm. and it's especially jarring to see, um, you know, the creators and, you know, the people really doing the work um, constantly be reshuffled and not paid enough and treated poorly and thrown aside when they're not, you know, useful to capital and all these different things. And it's just like, this show has sort of provided a you know a vehicle as for self-reflection think okay hey you're looking at this you know particular issue you know this particular industry thing how are you bringing your the same critical faculties that you use to kind of evaluate the rest of the world around you into the book stuff and that has been i think the most important thing that i've done for myself as a book person as a regular person as a whatever it is you want to classify yourself as like being able to kind of have those conversations with yourself is incredibly clarifying i think and incredibly important if you're actually trying to do something other than just make it make your make it yourself you know like if you're trying to actually like hey make something better for someone you do have to kind of look at things in those ways and i have no idea if the show is doing that for other people but the act of preparing for the show in the ways that we do when we want to talk about a given topic has certainly done that for me. So that's been useful. We've had, um, as of this morning, 220,000 listens mm-hmm. over 99 episodes. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to get any of that, by the way. <laughs> like, I really didn't see... Um, yeah, I don't really... It still shocks me that people listen to this program. And I'm glad that you're here, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so I think... Um, We've now, I think, explored the depths of what a jamboree can really be. <laughs> a therapy um, session. A the therapy answer. session. Um, <laughs> but like, I think, I think, from just to to close this out, like from the bottom of our hearts, like we're we're so happy 
that you're all here with us and we get to like sit in this little room every week and talk about books and talk about writing mm-hmm. and you know really really love and continue continue to fall in love with this industry and continue to critique this industry and really like all of us together um doing some amazing things and really like paying attention um because i think that we're in really interesting times and really Mm -hmm. really exciting times technologically and politically and socially um and interesting is doing a ton of work there interesting (laughs) is is yes it is doing a lot of work um but but i think you know in our our small way we kind of wanted this podcast to really just reflect that a little reflect that a little bit and really like deep dive into this industry that we know and love so well and so um, thank you for being with us for 100 episodes and you fools um, for staying with us for so long. But we're excited to be with you for 100 or 1,000 more. Yeah, no, this is this. I feel like our tone has lapsed into one of like like an ending or being like really reflective and stuff. And that we're not like going anywhere. No, I just <laughs> like, like had to type like one extra character and saving mm-hmm, this, saving this file. And it like yeah. felt very poignant. Yep, yep. Um, no, we're not going anywhere where, you know, we've got really exciting things for print run on the horizon to debut yep. this year and yep. next year. So. We're planning big. And the reason that we're planning big is because you are letting us do that. You are letting us do that through your listener support, through Patreon, through just engaging with us and sending us your ideas and sending us links absolutely keep doing that also um, put us on a damn list yeah we love being on lists we have 100 episodes in i we've been on some blog lists like the people like us you know like it's you know individual writers will put us on their roundups you know people who kind of exist in the author community will put us on stuff but like where's my itunes classification i want to know how to get on those lists so if you know how to do that or if you have a means to do that Get the bird on the list. We want <laughs> we want to be a hundred episodes in. I want to be on someone's damn ranking list somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're gonna be scaling up, but we wanted to just take stock yeah. of how far that we've come because of you. Um, and we are going to see you for a regular episode mm. next week. Mm. 